As we make ready for the lesson of the hour this evening, it is again good to see each and every one gathered again tonight. To the ladies, I'd again remind you, don't forget about the ladies' Bible class. Uh, two days from today, 48 hours or so from now, on a Tuesday evening, 6 p.m. here at the building, another consideration about the authority invested in Christ and the implications and the practical ones at that of that very timely topic. But tonight we draw Ecclesiastes to a close. We started this series the second Sunday in August. The weather was warm. That was even before polishing the pulpit. And yet look how far we've come. We've taken it basically a chapter at a time and have advanced tonight to the closing saga, the finale, the grand conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes. The problem of life has been our theme, and this next slide has, been, has some ideas upon it, which again look a bit familiar to us. Is life worth living? That really was set before us as the opening chapter began. In fact, the second verse of the opening chapter highlighted vanity of vanities. All is vanity, saith the preacher. And throughout the course of this book, we've noted a number of circumstances and realities in life. Sometimes it's matters in monotony. Sometimes it's matters of folly and foolishness. Sometimes it's matters related to the choices that others may make. And all the while, it can really bring some hard matters to those trying to live for God. Through it all, there's the certainty of death and many other things you and I have noted throughout this series of studies. I would say that tonight, I hope you have your Bible open, We'll be beginning in chapter 11, verse 9, and we will continue all the way to the end of chapter number 12. As we do that, I've highlighted at the very bottom that I think it's worthwhile to observe a couple of quick things. It seems likely, at least to me, to say this chapter is probably one of the most remarkable in all the 1,189 chapters in the Bible. It truly is breathtaking. It's profound. It is absolutely remarkable. And yet, beyond all that, it's easy to understand what it's going to tell us. No wonder, then, the answer to the main question is in this chapter. Is life worth living? Let's see. As we do all of that, we'll, of course, begin in verse number 9 of chapter number 11. I'd like to read from that verse up through verse number 1 of chapter 12. This is another one of those instances wherein the chapter division was not in a particularly good place, it seems to me. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment." Therefore remove sorrow from thy heart, and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And so these first three verses of our study tonight, I've tried to highlight under the heading of the five-letter word youth. These verses set before us perhaps something we already understand well. Maybe you and I could well recall those times in life wherein we were in that category. Notice some of the things that might be well for appreciation. Solomon, that wise man, would quickly tell to those, 
young rejoice. You and I know it well that once those years have passed, you just cannot get them back. During that time of life, you enjoy a number of things I've asked you to appreciate. You have strength in body. You have nimbleness of mind. You have agility of reflexes and the other attributes that come with a fairly young consideration in life. Not only that, you appreciate that this is a time when it seems as though young people have an abundance of energy. The worries and responsibilities of life have not yet come. It is genuinely and truly a time to understand the nature of one's blessings and that time in life. If only the youth could, at least in many cases, better appreciate the kind of observations that Solomon makes right now. But may I point out another thing about it? And it's the next point I've asked you to appreciate on the slide. I know that you and I each have heard that old expression. And quite often, isn't it true that there are those who will allow the youth a degree of excuse? Well, he or she is just sowing their wild oats. And we basically give them a pass. Maybe they're acting foolishly. Maybe they're acting in folly. And maybe they're acting with, quite frankly, a bit of stupidity. And yet we just simply allow it to pass and affirm that this is just a matter of growing up. That's nonsense. Isn't it here the case in verse number 9? Solomon is quick to say, As you walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, never ever forget this. For all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Just because a person's young doesn't mean God's not going to count that against them. If it's sinful, if it's not appropriate, if it's that which is against His will, it's still going to count. You don't get an exemption just because you're young. Isn't it interesting to notice then that whether old or young, we understand that Solomon here reminds us of the reality God will bring you to judgment. And it'll be that thought that'll close chapter number 12 as well. Isn't it true beyond all that, we might say this. In Hebrews 9, 27, again, to the young and to the old alike, we appreciate this rather powerful set of words. He has appointed therein this day. You and I recognize it's the day of our death and following that, the judgment. God has appointed that reality. Solomon here reminds us, as we live in this life, isn't it far better to be wise even from the time of our youth? To understand what's valuable, what's important, and what is to be avoided. It is no wonder then that verse number 10 goes on to say, Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart. Don't do things now you'll live to regret later. How many young ladies have found themselves pregnant? Doing something, it's not to say they don't love the child, but it has brought them into a place in life that's far harder than it had to be. May I say that whether those circumstances you'll notice remove sorrow from your heart, put evil away from you. How we need to instill in our youth from the time that they're young, God gives you no pass to sow wild oats. He will call everything into judgment. And isn't it true then in that light that verse number 10 closes like this? Childhood and youth, he says, are vanity. 
if they are lived with foolishness, if one brings into one's life this array of matters that chapter 12 verse 1 does not affirm, one has not chosen wisely. I say all of that to say, let's now read chapter 12 verse 1, one of the most familiar verses in the whole book. To these who are young, He now gives this unforgettable admonition, Remember now thy Creator in the days of your youth. While you're young and you have all this energy and you have this passion, this set of interests, and you have a body so full of capability, remember God in those years. Learn His Word then. Learn what's valuable. Appreciate the godliness and the right way to do things, how to treat other people, and you'll never regret those decisions. But on the other hand, to live foolishly, if one fails to remember God, Notice he says, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Solomon is about to draw a rather beautiful description. It is the case that as we arrive near the close of that slide, the opening verse of that chapter, notice, is an assertion. One may almost label it as a very strong and powerful commandment. Remember thy Creator in the days of thy youth. And so as parents and as grandparents and as others, we have an obligation, a responsibility to help ensure that centerpiece in their thinking and what they learn to appreciate centers around God. His Word, what is involved in living life for Him. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. He goes on to say, While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. That thought's really going to be a springboard that will lead us through about the next six verses. But one by one as we look at them, I may draw our attention back to that opening verse since, again, that's the thing that's leading us into this discussion. What did Solomon mean when he thus referenced, The evil days come not. When he referenced, the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. May I say a couple of things. First of all, those evil days, that appears to be Solomon's reference to that time later in life when accountability and responsibility, obligations and duties have now reached the full matter of adulthood. You now cannot avoid those responsibilities. They're yours. But what about the second phrase? When the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. That's a very poetic reminder that as you and I age, as all of us age, we come to a point in life when we do not enjoy the capabilities that we once knew. Now, I'm not saying anything that's new to us by way of different from our experience. We know this. We are not able to appreciate and to do what we could do at age 20, age 19, somewhere along in there. But he says, I have no pleasure in them. The fact of the matter is, he's now about to list a number of particulars that are realities of this old human body. Things that change as we grow older. Things that come to pass. Things that come to be the way things are. And so, the next slide... I've entitled Old Age. 
I do that because, again, the Word of God allows us to think of things. What is it like to grow older? What is it like that's different from when you and I were, for instance, far younger than we are right now? Let's begin reading in verse number 2 and see what he says. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble and the strong men shall bow themselves and the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look out of the windows be darkened, and the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. Also, when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fear shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail. Because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. And we'll stop at the end of verse 7 since that closes that particular thought. And verse 8 will take us into something different a bit later in the lesson tonight. But over the next few moments, I'd like to ask you to notice a few of these particulars. This section of Ecclesiastes, quite frankly, could be called an allegory. The most famous one in the New Testament is in Galatians chapter 4. This may be the most famous in the Old Testament. It is a circumstance in which the reality of something is likened or compared to something else that helps us understand the nature of the comparison. Verse number 2. Now, remember with me that verse number 1 had already said, Remember your Creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Solomon, what kind of pleasure are you talking about? Verse 2. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened. Solomon is beginning a description. One of the things you and I understand that's likely to occur that as we grow older, our eyesight is going to fail. Our eyesight's going to grow dim. We're not going to be able to see those stars and that moon and the things listed in verse number 2. They are going to be fuzzy, perhaps unresolved at best. Not only that, you may notice verse number 3 says it like this, closing part of that verse. Those that look out of the windows be darkened. Some of us may experience cataracts. We may have other eye ailments wherein we simply are not able to see very well anymore. Solomon says, When thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them, one of the things that you and I will experience most likely is a failure to some extent of our eyesight compared to when we were young. But that isn't all. Back to verse number 2. Nor the clouds return after the rain. I think that's a rather amazing way of putting what appears to be the matter in Solomon's description. The clouds return after the rain. You and I know well what the summertime or the spring brings us. There can be a cloud and then the rain will pass and it will become clear again. But notice here Solomon says the clouds return after the rain. There's no sunshine 
That seems to be His way of describing the ailments of this body. As we grow older, there's one issue, one problem right after another. Maybe it's the heart, the liver, the lungs, the hair, the head, it doesn't matter. As we get older, there's one problem right after another. Maybe you and I have seen it in our grandparents. If it's not one ailment one day, it's something else the next. You'll notice again the clouds return after the rain. We still aren't finished. Look with me at the next one. Verse number 3. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble. Isn't that an interesting expression? The keepers of the house are the arms. And as we get older, those arms don't have the strength they once had. They don't have the grip, the intensity, the firmness, and the absolute capability of strength that once were there. Though once they could guard a house and safeguard it against intruders, that day likely is gone. That strength is no longer present. Verse number 3 goes on to say, And the strong men shall bow themselves. That young man that once stood so, so straight and posture so perfect, as you get older, that old man now stoops. His back is bent. That posture that once was known is no longer the case. That body sags beneath the load of the years, and the burden that has now brought its way has brought a consideration of bowing beneath the reality of that thing. Let's read on, verse number 3. And the grinders cease because they are few. That's a reference to your teeth. Teeth is what allows you to grind your food. And notice he says they're few. We may lose a lot of teeth by the time we get old. And not only that, inasmuch as it says those grinders cease, quite often, again, those that are old are not able to chew food like they once could. The grinders are not there in the capability and with the strength that they once had had. Perhaps you and I are accustomed to our dentist giving us reports that we don't always appreciate. That as we get older, even that dentist affirms the teeth, they begin to chip. They don't have the intensity and integrity that once had been known. Indeed, the grinders cease. As you and I turn to verse number 4, what else may well be our lot as we arrive at an older age? And the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low. And he shall rise up at the voice of a bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. That's a reference to your hearing. You likely are not going to be able to hear very well either. You and I may have known grandparents or great-grandparents who struggle to hear almost anything. We feel for their plot. We feel for the circumstance, and yet there seems to be so little at times we can do about it other than to shout to them, to become so close to them that we, in fact, talk so very loudly. You'll notice the sound of birds, the sound of music can't be well appreciated anymore. And the verse begins by saying, the sound of the grinding is low. What may once have been so loud is now heard in such a low fashion. I think we'd all agree that indeed, verse 1 made note, I have no pleasure in them. Perhaps in youth we don't think about these things as a part of life. We take for granted our eyesight and our hearing and the strength in our body. 
But the time will come when those things will give way to the kind of reality we're reading about here. Let's read on into verse number 5. Also, when they shall be afraid of that which is high. Many of us know very well that as those get older, one of the things you will soon quickly learn not to do is to trust yourself in high places. You lose your balance and so easily fall. Those that are older rarely climb ladders. For reasons we can appreciate here, again, they shall be afraid of that which is high. As you and I note those things, may we develop it perhaps like this. Verse number 5 goes on to say, And fears shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden. The almond tree was known to bring forth its buds in such a way they were beautifully colored white, and that's apparently a reference to the white hair that you and I likely will experience if we have any hair at all. Isn't it interesting then as he has listed a number of these particulars of what it's like to grow older, he's going to come to a grand conclusion shortly. But a little bit further to go before we get there. The grasshopper shall be a burden, apparently a very figurative description. When you're young, you wouldn't give a second thought to picking up a grasshopper. When you get older, it may be hard to bend down and get one. The point is, what once was no challenge as you get older suddenly is a far greater one. It says, because man goeth to his long home. I'd like you to take note of that phrase. As Solomon has described, and maybe you and I aren't so thrilled about a number of his particulars, but we are aware of the reality of it. He says that man is headed to a long home. The word in the original carries the idea of eternal. You're going to soon leave this place. Your teeth, your hearing, your eyes, all of these things are for the here and now. You're headed to a place where those things won't do you any good. You're headed to a place that is a lo the long home, the place that's eternal. He did highlight, though, that mourners, verse number 5, go about the streets there may well be those that will mourn your passing or mine. They may be moved and compelled to give thought to what we did mean to those that we love and to those who loved us. But the fact is, we shall be here no more. We're going to a home not here upon this earth. Because verse number 6 in a very beautiful description puts it like this, Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Those realities that bring us to appreciate, be it the silver, the gold, the wheel, those physical things are beneficial and useful for accomplishing something now. And all those attributes of this body were beneficial here and now, but they're not going to help us in eternity. Because verse 7 says, Then, what a powerful little word. The time will come then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. That reminds us of the sentence that God gave to Adam. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, for out of the dust wast thou taken, and unto dust shalt thou return. Genesis 3 verse 19. 
And that sentence here, Solomon, echoes in your hearing and mine and says, The dust shall return to the earth as it was. But please take note of this. The Spirit shall return to God who gave it. God infused you and I. In fact, that's what you and I are. We're a spirit. Oh, it tabernacles in this body for a while. But the time will come, that spirit will depart the body, James 2.26. That's the moment we call death. That spirit, though, is as alive as it ever was. It's just merely gone to dwell elsewhere, waiting that glorious resurrection morning wherein Jesus Himself shall return. But at this point, might we note this. The dust shall return to the earth as it was. We are told in a rather amazing way what this body's made of. It's the same chemical elements that make up dirt. That's all it is. Doesn't that help you and I to think about what is most important is the Spirit dwelling within to make sure we're living in a way that that Spirit can then easily take, if you will, its movement beyond the realms of this life and await that grand resurrection morning looking for a home in heaven. As you and I close that slide, aren't we reminded then that so far we've learned that old age will give way to death? The last verses, verses 8 through 14, close the book in what I'll call the grand conclusion. This sums it all up. Is life worth living? Let's see. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads, and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Let's go back to verse 8 and step through those verses. Verse 8 is almost word for word the same as chapter 1, verse 2. It's like a set of bookends to the book of Ecclesiastes. Apart from God, apart from the wisdom that we're now about to read, everything is vanity. If only our world could understand that truth. Apart from God and apart from the truth which He has revealed and apart from recognition of that, everything has a futility to it. It has a vanity attached to it. Verse number 9, Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. The preacher was wise. And you and I in wisdom will too understand and appreciate the nature of what he is teaching us in this closing paragraph. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. Solomon, of course, wrote the book of Proverbs. You'll notice here, this is another reminder that he wrote this book as well. Verse number 10. 
let's look with some care at now what this preacher says. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. Solomon, what are you looking for? He's been searching for the meaning of life. He's been searching for the very thing that gives the answer to the question, is life worth living? Verse 10 says, he sought out acceptable words. Where did you find them? Verse 10, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. He's talking about the Word of God. He found words of truth. He found the answers to the things he was looking for. He found the ultimate matter. Once the debris is all cleared and the dust is all settled, the book of God has the answers he needed. If only you and I and our youngsters and even those older could appreciate this book is the one that has the answers. Look at the next verse. The words of the wise are as goads, verse number 11. A goad is something you use to you know, prod a cattle or a cow or an animal to do what you want it to do. He says the Word of God's that way. It pricks us. If we're wise, it'll set us into action. We won't just read it and ignore it. We will let it motivate us, compel us, and move us to what it needs to in order for you and I to live in accordance to what it says. Because verse number 11, Nails fastened by the masters of assemblies. Any carpenter can tell us you use a nail to affix something and make it sturdy. The Word of God does that. We can hang our life on it. Didn't Jesus say the wise man built his house on a rock? Jesus, who are those wise ones? Matthew 7, 24. Those that hear my sayings and do them. But on the other hand, the foolish man built his house on the sand. Who are they, Jesus? those who hear my words and don't do them. You see, the Word of God is like that nail. And when you and I fasten our life to it, when we in fact live in accordance to it, verse number 11 describes you and I as being those which are given from one shepherd. The one shepherd, of course, you and I read of in the New Testament in John chapter 10, Jesus is the good shepherd of the sheep. Now, Solomon here was writing a long time before Jesus came. But doesn't he remind us that there's one principal shepherd above? The great God of heaven, it behooves us to learn about His way to live after Him. Verses 12 to 14 close our book. Verse number 12 says, In distinction to this book we've just read about, namely the Word of God, he says, of many books there is no end. The human family has written so many books. I think it was recently you and I noted that the Library of Congress has over 5,000 volumes a day arrive. 5,000 volumes a day that men have written. And yet they cannot alter or change by one whit what this book says. You see, man may write many books, but they're no foundation for life. They never were, never will be. But the Word of God's the truth. And in light of that, verse number 12 closes by saying, Much study. That's a study of human things. Now notice, that does not say it isn't important to be wise, and it isn't important to observe and to be discerning in terms of what things are around you. 
But if you're studying the writings of men, looking for the answers of life, you'll never find them. You will never find them. You're destined to be disappointed because much study of those things is a weariness of the flesh. Verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Solomon, if there's one thing that summarizes everything that you would now wish to tell us, what is it? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole of man. Nothing else about your life or mine tops that one in priority. No wonder you'll appreciate on that slide. Fear God. It starts with a healthy respect and fear of Him, an interest in His commandments and a desire to learn them and do them. Because He says, keep His commandments. And those two things together, he asserts, this is the whole of man. You might take note that the word duty was supplied by the translators. Literally in Hebrew it reads, this is the whole of man. Why am I here? Is life worth living? The answer is yes, it's worth living. So long as you live it for God. So long as you appreciate that your life is to be lived in reference to and in pursuit of Him. Let Him guide your way. Because after all, Jeremiah 10.23 would say that it's not in man that walketh to direct his own steps. After asserting that it's the whole of man to fear God and keep His commandments, he now offers this elaboration. For God shall bring every work into judgment. We don't just live here and enjoy this time for a while. After it, there's a moment of judgment. And it says He'll bring every work into it. God's not going to leave anything out. Anything not forgiven, you're going to have to answer for it. It's going to be mentioned. It's going to be brought to bear on that grand and glorious day. It says, even with every secret thing, you or I may suppose that nobody knows what we are doing or have done. And it may be that no one on else on earth knows, but God knows. We cannot hide from Him. We cannot conceal anything from Him. And the verse ends, whether it be good or whether it be evil. The Word of God is filled with references to the occurrence of the judgment. I would call to your attention that this passage is quoted very closely in the writings of 2 Corinthians 5. There Paul, writing to that congregation, said, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So very close to the language employed here. In Romans 2 verse 6 we read that, Everyone will have to give account or render in regard to his deeds unto God. Revelation twenty two twelve highlights the same. Surely in light of all those things, we have been admonished in this lesson to live with wisdom. The whole charge, the whole prerogative, the whole duty of man is this, to fear God and keep His commandments. If I miss that, I've missed everything. It doesn't matter what else may be said of your life or mine. If that is absent, we're a failure.
if that is absent, we are not successful. No wonder the conclusion will be easy to write. Tonight we've learned the youth are admonished to remember their Creator because certainly old age is going to bring many changes to life. Many things that once were never considered will now be the reality from our hair to our arms to our teeth to our body. But through it all, we appreciate this. Fear God and keep His commandments. The whole duty of man centers upon that truth. And the curtain closes on the book of Ecclesiastes. I hope we've each been encouraged, admonished, in a very direct way to understand this life is a period of preparation. We live here but for a while. We are looking, of course, for an eternal home. That long home mentioned in verse number 6. Tonight, as you and I analyze ourselves, are you and I living in the faith? Demanded of us in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. If there's anyone in the audience that perhaps once was faithful, but you're not tonight, in light of a, a chapter like this one, if you've missed that priority or if you have begun to adopt new ones, realize this one is irreplaceable. Any other priority in life will not lead you to heaven. Fear God and keep His commandments. If we could help you tonight to rededicate your life, why don't you let us do it? We would urge you, we would implore you. After all, God wants you to be faithful at His side. Tonight, if you need to confess error in a public way, we'd be delighted to make acknowledgement of that confession and repentance and pray to God that He'd forgive you. And He's promised He will. Tonight, that decision rests with you or me. If there's anyone in the audience and maybe Ecclesiastes has prompted you to rethink some things, make those changes. May we all be wise. If we could help you in any public way tonight, let us know and do it at once while we stand and sing.